Welcome to the Bread and Wine Podcast, episode number 11. You ready? Yep. All right. This is titled, The Lord's Return, Fuel for Everyday Missions. Mm. So for those who are not familiar with who's sitting beside us, this is my good, great, longtime friend, Isaac Steckbeck. If I use... He was formerly known as the artist as Sean. Wait, did I say that right? If I use that name, I make my apologies. That's a whole story for another time. Uh, But Isaac Steckbeck is here with us, and I've known him since fifth grade. A long time. It's been a really long time. I was thinking on my way over here, I was like, wow, I think that this, you may be one of the one of the longest friends, you know what I mean? That I know in my, that I actually still hang out with and spend time with. So it's pretty awesome. And he's moving back to Israel soon. So we're like sad, but also like, we better get him on this podcast now, <laughs> yeah. but you're going to come to Israel. I love Israel. Both of you. I'm going home, baby. Yep. Yes, sir. And, I love and I'll just say, uh, Isaac has been influential I know in mine and John's life, but also just the bread and everything that's happening in Middle Tennessee. Um, we've learned so much from him, and we're just really honored that he's coming on today, especially on this topic. Um, he's kind of, you know, this is like his life's passion, um, and so we're just we're just so eager to have him share that, and uh, we're thankful that you're um, tuning in today. That's it. Just making sure we were going live there, making sure we're live. Um, so let's, I think let's open this thing up. So. Sean uh, Isaac obviously has a deep passion for the Maranatha cry, the, mm. the Lord's return, probably more than anyone else that I know, um, more than anybody else that I know. Yeah. And I was thinking about it as I drove over here that oftentimes um, we're on this one, there's groups, a group of people, and I think maybe the church in America for the most part is in this group that is kind of a little more nonchalant towards the Lord's mm-hmm. uh, return probably not taught about it a ton, maybe because pastors are scared of, you know, what what that is, scared to step on toes of other people, don't understand Jesus's references to end times or Revelation or Isaiah or all, all kinds of different things. Or there's a hyper focus on it, but with a escapism kind of mentality, like a Lord Jesus, come, come quickly, come quickly. This world stinks and it's, it's awful. And I just want to get out and I just want to, I'll fly away. Oh glory. You know, that, that kind of mentality. But what I like about what Isaac's taught me and, uh, just shared with me so much over the years is this longing for his return, but that being fuel for my everyday participation in what God's desiring in Mm -hmm. his mission. So, uh, if you want to start off, let's just start off. If you don't mind just talking about, the Lord's return, uh, talking to the people out there who, you know, maybe don't know much about it, um, are confused or yeah, all that kind of stuff. So I know you can go baby. Well, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Um, two of my favorite people are in the world are sitting Woo-hoo! right here and I'll take that all day long. Been an honor to walk with you guys in the last couple of years, um, here at the bread. The Bread Global, and uh, I'm going to miss you guys greatly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Miss... <sighs> yeah. Oh, well. well. We'll still see each other, though. That's what I keep telling myself. Yeah, we'll still see each other. And you guys are going to come to Israel, and and um, and it's going to be great. Yes, yeah. it is. And I can't wait to see what happens here in Middle Tennessee through the Bread. I do want to say that before we start anything else. That if this. anybody, and I do want to say this, if anybody is interested 
and making disciples, learning how to make disciples, learning how, if anybody wants to see Middle Tennessee reached, wants prayer emphasis for the people groups in Murfreesboro and beyond in Middle Tennessee, mm-hmm. I want to encourage you, get in touch with John and Seth. It's extremely important because making disciples is not an option. It's a mm-hmm. command. And so I do, before anything, I want to start out with That's saying, good. you guys have a resource in these two people. And these they're well-trained. They know how to make disciples. And they know how to coach you through making disciples. So please, take advantage of these two gifts to the body mm. that are here in Middle Tennessee. Awesome. Thank you. Bill. Thank you. Well, amen. I'm just going to invite you on more often if you want to <laughs> make me feel better about myself. <laughs> so uh, Isaac, so talk about uh, the Lord's return and maybe let's start off at just kind of a simplistic level. Let's look back in the old Testament uh-huh. because I think that a lot of people, when you talk about eschatology, um, just focus on New Testament yes. and then they read revelation and they're super confused or they read the stuff that Jesus says in Matthew 24 and 25 and they're super confused because we just have forgotten, you know, I don't even like the term old Testament, honestly, but I'm using that. So people understand what I'm saying. Well, I think it's very important when we approach the return of the Lord and when we approach the scriptures altogether, that we understand that the scriptures are written as a narrative. Yeah. Hundred percent, as you would say. Hundred <laughs> percent, yes. And we have to read the scriptures as a threadline narrative from Genesis to Revelation. And if we don't understand the context and the narrative of the entirety of Scripture, then of course what Yeshua says, what Jesus says, is going to be confusing to us. The eschatology will not be important to us because oftentimes what we do is we read the scriptures. And we're like looking for it for practical everyday use, for inspiration, which is all biblical and it's all good. But if we don't take the inspiration and even the practical use from the entire narrative of the word of God, Mm -hmm. I think we can get off in certain portions that we read, not reading it in context. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, and I think that that's, that's a big piece to it. Like we come from this perspective often of what does the scriptures give me? And there is, God does give us things. It's really powerful, but then taking that step back. And that was one of the things, this podcast is about engaging the world like Jesus, like Yeshua. That's like what we, yes. we continue to art, to talk about that. And how does it, what do it mean to live Yeshua in us and, and all that kind of stuff. But like, I'm sitting back and as I'm thinking about this whole thing, as Yeshua is going through, you read the, the, the New Testament scriptures, you read uh, Mark, Matthew, John, whatever. You see that he sees himself as part of God's bigger narrative. And that, and that, and when he calls himself son of man, for example, Mm -hmm. obviously Daniel, like you see that he's constantly seeing himself in that picture. And I think that's something that we, we need to grab hold of that in ourselves too, instead of it just being about what's my calling, what's this, but there's a huge picture that God has. And you're right, dude. Like if we just read the Bible that way, then we, we just really are going to struggle. And that used to, used to tick me off. I used to get frustrated because I was like, what do you mean? Like when there's this, like. You know, there's not this big disconnect from Old Testament and New Testament. That's a horrible way to read the scriptures. Yeah, and when <laughs> and I started confusing, to, when I started to understand the full story, and Isaac has helped with that, um, it really started. I, I could go to a a book in the Bible and know what was happening and know where I was. And so, Isaac, I think it would be awesome if you just maybe just started in Genesis mm-hmm. 49 and just maybe yeah. take us through some of it and unfold the story for us a little bit. 
No, a hundred percent. And um, I, I want to say one quick thing about yeah. the story is that, you know, we often use the word gospel a lot and the word gospel comes from, you know, of course the Hebrew psora, which means to actually bring good news mm-hmm. or the, the Greek word evangelion, um, which also means a herald or heralding. But we, we, we actually borrowed the term, the English term gospel from the German Gottspiel. The word gospel comes from the word Gottspiel. And if you look at the word Gottspiel, it really sums up what the gospel message is when we start in Genesis. And Gott is God in German. Spiel, like what's he's a the, spiel? He's the goat. Yeah, he's the goat. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and then spiel is like you ever heard the Yiddish term, what's your spiel, what's your, uh, what's your story, right. is the word story. And so really what the word gospel means is God's story, mm. God's story. So when we present wow. the gospel, we have to present it with a full narrative of God's story and not just That's a right. portion of that story. So we're presenting the gospel with a... 30 something year old something 30 something year snapshot versus thousands of years and having the whole story yeah and so starting with the story of god going back to genesis of course we see the fall and and often, you know there's a lot of discussions about what happened in the fall genesis 2 genesis 1 genesis 3 the creation sure. the fall the story of adam and eve and in the fall there was made a promise that there would be one person who the seed of the woman mm-hmm. would crush the head of the snake and they were kicked out of the garden. And so there is a full narrative of scripture. Um, you see it with Moses. I mean, you see it with even Noah. Noah's name means comforter because mm-hmm. uh, when it was, when he was given his name by, you know, um, his father, um, who his grandfather was Enoch, his great-grandfather was Methuselah. But when he was given his name by his father Lamech, it said because he will com- he will bring comfort, comfort to the land, talking about the curse that was on the land mm. before the fall. And that Noah's, Noah had some sort of picture, some sort of foreshadowing destiny that he would bring comfort. And, go- and there would be one day where we'd go back to the way things were. Yeah. And that's why they thought that the flood was going to bring that. It didn't. It was a foreshadow of what brought that. But there's this been this entire narrative of scriptures, whether you're talking about the prophets, whether you're talking about even the book of Judges with Balaam, mm-hmm. you know, who said there's going to come a star out of Jacob. This entire narrative of scriptures of we long to go back yes. to the garden. To the, yeah. We long and there's going to be this person, this redeemer, this uh, person who's going to crush the head, the seed of the woman who's going mm-hmm. to crush the head of the serpent yeah. that is going to bring us back to the way God created the earth. Yeah. It was, so Seth and I were talking about this uh, earlier today. I've been thinking about this a lot and how that story of returning to the beginning and yet it being different is so interwoven. What is the story of the Lord of the Rings? Frodo, they go on this, you know, giant quest oh, yeah. and they, they, they destroy yeah. the ring and they end up back in the Shire, but they're different, but it's mm. back at the beginning and it's peace again. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, they go through this whole crazy thing and then what happens? They're back to the wardrobe, but Lucy and they're, and Edward, they're different, you know, and there's something different. And I think that speaks to us because that is what God is telling this unfolding story. Even the idea of rest 
he rests on the seventh day. And as he rests, he says, enjoy creation. But guess what? What happens? We end in rest. Adam and Eve, what happens at the very beginning? We eat and there's a meal between husband and wife. And what happens at the end? There's a freaking wedding feast. And like, I just get goosebumps thinking of exactly what you're saying. And God's been really speaking that lately. It's just like, it's, it's a return to the beginning. And yet it will be different because we've had these journeys Mm -hmm. along the way with Abraham and Isaac. Oh my gosh. Crazy good stuff. And I think that speaks to the innate desire in us for redemption and for justice. Mm -hmm. And there is a, there's, you know, just like we've seen, there has been an outcry and outpouring for justice, especially in the last few years. Um, And that is in us for a reason. And we just need to redirect our attention to who brings that justice Mm -hmm. and how that justice comes about. There you go. And I think we see that in this narrative. That's right. And God's justice looks a lot different than our justice. Mm. And that's that's a real issue with this generation. And we'll get into that a little bit later. You had asked me to speak about the <laughs> wrath of God a little bit later. Right. But that is a real issue yeah. about how we understand justice and social justice. And, mm-hmm. and it's very different than the way the world understands justice. But there's a longing and an innate desire in every person, which is why social justice movements exist. For justice, and that's yeah. a desire that God put yeah. in our hearts that is actually crying to go back to the beginning. That's right. Mm-hmm. It is. Oh, even when I look like at Black Lives Matter on the streets, they're mm-hmm. crying no justice, no peace. That's right. What they're really crying is we long to go back to the beginning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to see that cry manifest, even if if we don't have a perfect view of justice when people are crying it, or they even have a skewed view of justice, there's still an innate desire to go back to where it was in the beginning. Yep. And so there's this person, the, uh, the unfolding, uh, the, the story of God in the Old Testament unfolds in progressive revelation. In other yep. words, at first we understand there's going to be a seed it's going to crush the head of the serpent. Later, we understand that there's we're going to go back to a garden. It's going to go back to the mm-hmm. way things were. And then in Genesis 49.10, which is my favorite. Just pulled it up. There you go. No, go ahead. Say it. No, you can go ahead and quote it if you want. No, I mean, I, I mean, I can put it. Yeah, I'll just read it through here, even though I have it memorized, I'm sure. But uh, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. So this is, give them some context, Sean. So, so this is Jacob prophesying mm-hmm. over his... 10 children and two grandchildren. And he gets and he gives them all sorts of prophetic promises about their destiny, about the agriculture that they're going to use on the land, about, you know, the different redemptive characteristics that are going to happen in each tribe. And it gets to the tribe of Judah, by the way, that like, for instance, the tribe of Levites are going to be priests. Yep. We know that. So, but he gets to the tribe of Judah. He gets actually to the person of Judah, not the tribe of Judah, which later Judah is going to be the patriarch of the tribe of Judah and Levi's going to be the patriarch of the priests. Um, but he gets to the, uh, tr- uh, to the person of Judah and he says this, he gives a whole bunch of prophetic words about yeah. agriculture and land and vineyards and his eyes will be red with wine and his teeth white with milk talking. And today you've been there. If you go through Judea, it's like the Napa Valley of Israel, mm. just like the prophetic promises was given. Yep. Showing that, hey, these prophetic promises are very real. That's right. And so, um, and then he says, the scepter, scepter will not depart from Judah. In other words, what is a scepter? You rule with the scepter. It's, it's the king's, King. um, the king's staff. And it says, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a ruler's staff between his feet. feet. Yep. And between his feet is when you, when you make judgments. Yep. And until Shiloh 
comes. The word there, for, by the way, for uh, a step between his feet is mochek. Mochek comes from the word chok in Hebrew, which means a lawgiver, yeah. a person who, who pounds his stick on the ground yeah. and says, I am therefore going to decree forth the law. Yeah. And until Shiloh comes. Which Shiloh is highly debated, argued of. What is, what is exactly the what Shiloh? What is Shiloh? Yeah. 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 But so I'm actually even reading from the, the Jewish study Bible. So this is, and, mm-hmm. and it's, they translate it so that tribute shall come to him. Tribute, yes. So it's that, it's that idea, but it's beautiful to say that the Jewish people, seeing this and reading it in Genesis 49, 10, 49, 10, it says that like they're waiting for this person. Oh, absolutely. They're waiting for this king. There's going to be tribute and obedience. Oh. Yes. And yeah, the word Shiloh is actually, like you said, it's interesting. It could be translated Shiloh, like Shiloh in Hebrew, or it could be translated Shiloh, which is two different words, which means that will be given tribute unto yeah. him. So it could mean both. And the word Shiloh means peaceful or tranquil, but it's it could be a synonym and it's used often in the Jewish world as a synonym for the coming, like Shiloh the person. Yeah. And of course, that's where the tabernacle stood for 369 years. It's its actual place. But... But then it says, and unto him will be, so there's tribute unto him, and an unto him will be the obedience, I mean, yeah. the obedience of the peoples. People. And so this is really powerful because what it's saying is that there's this, from Judah, from the, the Judah's descendants will rule over his brothers. He, yeah. to him belongs the dynasty of kings that we see that take place until, with, starting with King David and then King Solomon who were from the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. And then there was a split with Jeroboam and Rehoboam, but you had the line of Jeroboam and that line actually switched two or three times. But then you have the line of Rehoboam, which ruled in Judah in the, in the uh, nation of Judah. And this line was always from the tribe of Judah. And from that line from the tribe of Judah and the nation of Judah came forth the Messiah. Yep. And so it says that there's going to be the dynasty of kings, the rightful kings among Israel and her brothers is from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Benjamin, which was King Saul, not from other tribes, but from the tribe of Judah. But there's going to be one who comes out of this tribe who doesn't just deserve the obedience of his brothers and the descendants of his brothers, but to him, he will receive tribute and honor from the nation of Israel through and he'll be through the tribe of Judah to the entire yeah. world. Yeah. And um and he will not just receive the belief of the entire world and we can get in that into our next podcast. There you go. Yeah. It's not just the belief of the entire world. It's not about who you believe in. It's the obedience yeah. of the nations. That's right. And that's very key to understanding everything we do. That's right. And so this prophetic word about a man, it's the first time we get a prophetic word in the scriptures, um, in this, this narrative of progressive revelation in the Old Testament about a man, the seed of, of course, we got earlier that he was the seed of a woman and that he will one day rule the entire world. It's like my friend Joel Richardson likes to say, a Jew who rules the world. <laughs> and, and yes, um, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there today about Jews wanting to take <laughs> over the world. Well, <laughs> the truth is, is the heart of that conspiracy is true. true. There is a Jew <laughs> who's going to rule the entire world and start a government and the nations and the obedience of the nations will be his. 
it's just amazing how far back that is in the scriptures, you know, to see that all the way back in Genesis, you know, 49, that, wow. I mean, the way that you tell it, <clears throat> Isaac, is like, when you talk about good news, it gets me excited because it's not just a Jesus came and died for my sins. And now you can be like, this is like a, this is an epic, this is an epic story, more epic than, than the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? It's more epic than any of these things. And in the center of it is this son of man in the center of it is Yeshua. And we're going back to the beginning and like, he's the, yeah, it's just, it's so good. So continue on. What else, what else do they, we got? So I didn't mention at the beginning of the podcast and I apologize. We're going to do a two parter here. The first part of it focused primarily on the idea of the Lord's return. And the second part mostly focused on what, sh- what Isaac was about to say there. And that is, um, the mission part and bringing the obedience of the nations to him uh, as a reward. So what else do folks need to know um, when it comes to the return of the Lord or what would be helpful for them in that story? So I think oftentimes when we, by the way, John, this is great. Yeah. I'm having a great time. It's fun to do a (laughs) podcast with. Um, I think oftentimes when, like you said earlier, um, when we think about eschatology or the eschaton or the acharit in Hebrew, um, we often think about some sort of like extra, extra um, like teaching or something that, oh, this is something oh, for when you point. get older. Yeah. Or, or I've heard it often said, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. and, and the, God will just sort it out at the end. God will sort it out <laughs> at the end. And <laughs> I'm pan-trib. Yeah. It'll all pan out in the end. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do agree that there's mysteries in eschatology that we that we don't really know and yes. how it'll exactly work out. But the heart of the return of the Lord is underemphasized and it's tragic because mm. it's the heart, it's the climax yes. of the entire gospel narrative. And I think that whenever whenever we don't have a foundation in our teachings and in the way we view everything, the way we Mm. view holiness, the way we view obedience, the way we view what it even means to be a Christian or in my case, a messianic Jew. What, what is our foundation here? And I think we're missing a, a foundational aspect of the gospel. And it's one of the reasons, and it's going to be restored. I have complete hope. I don't want to be one of those people who are constantly criticizing mm-hmm. the church. But there are there is foundational issues that are missing in today's modern church yeah. that need to be relayed. Yeah. But I have hope that it's going to be coming for a pure and spotless bride. Mm-hmm. It will happen. Yeah. Um, um, he will be ready. She will be ready. Yeah. And it leads to a wedding. So... And uh, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was I was literally crying about that this morning, thinking that Jesus has invited me. His first mission was to the Jewish people, but He has extended the invitation to this great banquet to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. to everyone. And it was just such a powerful moment uh, in thinking about that invitation and what I have been invited to, and that. I need to do everything I can to be prepared for that day, but also uh, to help others get prepared for that day because yeah. it is approaching. It is, coming. It um, is coming. And to, you know, like it says, proclaim it on the rooftops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even if you read the Gospels, 
even the heart of Yeshua's message was about the coming kingdom of God. His gospel was the gospel of the kingdom. And the cross was a pivotal moment in the kingdom narrative. It was, it was, um, the second most pivotal moment in the kingdom narrative. Mm. And I think one of the ways we've gotten off in the, in, in today's modern, you know, the way we present the gospel today is that we make it the first most pivotal moment Mm. and the cross and the resurrection is the message of good news that we can all enter into this coming kingdom. It's the doorway into the coming kingdom, but we need to understand what is the kingdom. Yeah. What, what are we coming into? That is what he came and preached. Yes. The kingdom of God is at hand. And I think there's a lot of people that probably would ask that same exact question. What is that? What the heck is the kingdom of God? (laughs) And he's been preparing it since the foundation of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And so if we don't have a, if we don't have a good grasp on what it means that the kingdom of God is at hand, what the kingdom of God is, then uh, of course we're going to be like, well, what is it? What does the end matter? And then you'll, we're going to struggle, I think with, you know, evangelism or sharing this gospel, whatever you want to say, making disciples out of people, because we're just uh, this, we're missing like the whole point of the story. Yeah. It's too, it's not about Jesus coming to save your individual sins. Yes. That's part of it. But you're talking about this small part of a grand story that's been unfolding for ages. Yes. And even if you read in the entire narrative of scriptures, I was just reading this morning, Isaiah 63. Mm -hmm. And if you read in the entire narrative of scriptures, you can actually see the cross in the kingdom message. For instance, in Isaiah 63, it's, uh, no, I'm sorry, in Isaiah 52, and we'll read it in the next podcast. It it says that, um, that it will not be by anything we do. His holy arm will perform this. Yeah. And so the message of grace is in this coming kingdom is actually part of this holy arm, this, this Mm. right hand of God that's going to be revealed and we will have nothing to do with it. And the right hand of God was revealed through the cross and the resurrection. And so the, the narrative of the cross is in this narrative of the kingdom, the narrative of grace and coming into it by grace is in the, the entire narrative. It's not, none of this is to downplay the cross or to downplay yes. this grace. It's, it's, I mean, I think it actually elevates it. Yes. When you see it in the grand story, you it makes you want to weep. It's even more powerful. Oh, whew. sorry. I'm about to, about to tear up there. Somebody I love it. Go. <laughs> How much more time do we have? All right. That's so we're going to have on this podcast about three more minutes. Okay. I, so I want to end with yep. one thing about a desire uh, for the return of the Lord and that what we're desiring is we're desiring the climax mm. and the culmination and, and of the coming kingdom we're, yeah. we're desiring. I had a vision in 2005 where I saw the coronation of King Jesus and uh, he took me up and I was hovering over Jerusalem and, and I was watching the coronation of King Jesus and, and the scriptures talk about this coronation often lift up ye heads. O ye gates. We often sing that and we don't even know it's talking about a coronation ceremony of the coming kingdom. We think it's something spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we imagine in our mind's eyes, something spiritual, but it's really talking about a literal event that's yeah. going to happen. Um, and even every mountain will be made low and every valley will be raised up and every 
the crooked places will be made straight. This is actually a literal topographical, and you've seen the place, mm-hmm. the little topographical shift that's going to happen literally on the earth to create a red carpet entrance for King Yeshua. All of creation is being prepared for this coming coronation. And he's returning. And what we long for in his return is he's coming for, for two reasons. What we're looking forward to, what we're desiring, what we're longing for, two different things that are described in the scriptures. Number one is there's a coming wedding. Mm-hmm. And we desire this wedding. We have a bridegroom that's coming and we're supposed to mourn, it says. It says we're supposed to pray because the bridegroom is taken away. Yeah. And so there's a longing in our hearts for the bridegroom that we be with us to see him face to face. As Job once said, though my flesh be, I know my redeemer lives. And in the end, in the Acherit, in the eschaton, he will stand mm-hmm. on the earth. And even though, my, talking about the resurrection of the dead, and though my flesh be destroyed, with my very eyes, face to face, this longing for face to face fellowship mm-hmm. with the coming bridegroom. We, I will see God and it will be face to face. It will not just be spirit to spirit. Yeah. It'll be face to face. And number two, we're longing for returning King. Yeah. And so we're longing for a returning bridegroom and we're longing for a returning King. We're longing for a coming wedding and we're longing for a coming coronation. And those are the things that we pray for, intercede for, long for, and live our lives for. And we're not just going to wait for that to happen. And we're going to talk about the net in the next podcast. Mm-hmm. There's actual practical, practical things that we can participate in that return yeah. of the Lord. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing that this understanding did for me and does for me now is that it gives me a physical destination for my hope that before I understood mm-hmm. this really physical reality that there's going to be a time when Jesus comes as king on a physical earth to reign as a physical king over the whole world. And it wasn't just this kind of escapist mindset where I'm going to go up to heaven and get angel wings and I put my hope in that. (laughs) You know, like this gives me something to hope in. This gives me a description, a picture, a day to genuinely put my hope in that when I face tragedy, when I face trouble, when I face persecution, my hope is in this day. And in this time. And so that, that has been foundational Mm -hmm. for my whole walk with Jesus since I came into this understanding. So I just want to encourage you, if you have walls going up right now, or you're like, I don't know about this. um, I just encourage you, implore you to seek the scriptures and to see all this in the flesh, in the scriptures, how it's going to unfold so that you do have something to put your hope into Mm. uh, in a day of tragedy or in a day of celebration. We put our hope into this. Yeah. And it's with all this that we're saying, this is the fuel that burns us to go out every day, to mm-hmm. to engage the world like Yeshua, to to do everything that we can, because this is something that's freaking exciting. It's amazing and it's terrifying. <laughs> um, which I think I'll, I'll wait and we'll we'll get to that part at the end. So I mean at the next one. So uh, for those who are watching live, we're going to take about a twenty minute break and we're going to come back and we're going to record part two. If you're listening on the podcast, um, I'm going to release two separate. We're going to release two separate episodes, um, part one, and we'll be back for part two, which is going to focus on the so what now. So what does this mean for my day in and day out live life? Uh, if you're enjoying our podcast, we'd love for you to rate it. Uh, you can go to bread, wine, 
just no and in this one, breadwine.podbean.com to like just get on all the different things because we're on Apple or Spotify, all the different stuff. So uh, we look forward to part two. We'll talk to you in a little bit.